0: You know, as a teenager, I became increasingly curious about some of the big questions of life. Like, where do we come from? Was there really a being who made us? Or is my science teacher right, where it was just a lengthy process of evolution over years and there was randomness to some of the aspects? Uh, What happens when we die? Like, after this life, what's, what's going to happen? Is, is, is there going to be nothing? We're going to cease to exist? Uh, is there really a heaven, a hell, reincarnation? Like, what's really going to happen uh, when I die? Also, uh, why do bad things happen? And why do bad things happen to me? And why do I want to do bad things? You know, these kinds of questions. Uh, what is my purpose of life? Is there really a purpose, a sense of purpose that we can have? Or is it just basically every person's living for themselves? And add to that a home that just had some unhealthy uh, dynamics, I just remember feeling a great deal of confusion and of restlessness and uncertainty, worry, even a little bit of hopelessness. And at that time, God in his goodness uh, had a young man in my school named Robert come to me and invite me to a little Christian church. And we didn't go to church, never been to a church before. And so I said, uh, Mom, and Dad, can I go? And they said, sure, why not? So the bus came by my house on a regular basis, picked me up, and off I went to this little church. And as I went to that church, I started hearing a message about a God who made everything and who knew me and loved me and had a plan and a purpose for my life. And then I started hearing more about Jesus. And I heard this message, which I found out later was called the gospel, the good news, that my sin was offensive to God. And that because of my sin, I was not going to spend eternity with God. But that God, out of his love for me, sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sin. And that Jesus defeated sin and death by rising from the grave. And the more and more I heard about Jesus, my heart was drawn to him. I found Jesus compelling. And then I looked around at these people in this church, and they had a sense of purpose. And they were confident in what they believed, and they were friendly. And as I just listened, and as I started studying on my own, and comparing what I was hearing with all the other different things I saw out there in the world, my heart slowly continued to draw closer and closer to the Lord until it wasn't that long before I placed my faith in Jesus Christ as my Savior. And although I still had lots and lots and lots of questions, and although there was still pain and difficulty in parts of my life, my faith in Christ kept me growing. What I noticed was where there once was confusion Now, my belief in the God of the Bible was producing a security. And instead of meaninglessness, my belief in this God of the Bible was giving me a sense of purpose. Have you ever experienced worry or insecurity related to big questions in life? Or do you find yourself sometimes trying to uh, control your choices and control your surroundings and control your relationships because really what's going on deep down is that you're grasping for control because there's a sense of purposelessness in your own life and a lack of meaning. Or have you come to the place where you too believe in and have a relationship with the God of the Bible who's given you a great sense of security and purpose in your life? See, the way we understand God and experience God plays out in every other aspect of our life, every other part of our existence. That is why accurate theology and accurate doctrine should be one of our most important focuses in our lives. And with so many religions out there, and all really uh, differing on degree uh, with major issues, we have to fiercely pursue the truth of who this God really is and how has he really revealed himself. And that's why we need a doctrine and a theology that's accurate and that will be life-transforming. And God tells us to teach what lines up with sound doctrine because there's a lot of various things out there that aren't sound, that aren't accurate. And as Christians, we know that we have the authority and accuracy of God's Word, that God has given us His Word. We call this the living truth of God, right? It's it's living and active. It's, It's truth. And God's given it to us to guide us. But we also have other helpful resources and tools that God and His people have put together to help us grow in our faith. Around 200 years after Jesus died and rose, Christian leaders came together and decided to put into writing core biblical beliefs of the Christian faith as were taught by the apostles who were eyewitnesses of Jesus and his teaching. And this became known as the Apostles' Creed. Now the Apostles' Creed isn't written by the apostles. It has no authority in and of itself. That's reserved for the Bible alone. It isn't infallible. That's why there's so many versions of it. The, the, the creeds have been written and rewritten or modified a little bit here and there because of different interpretations of words, and that's okay. It's not the Bible. And the creed is not a mantra or incantation, and saying it doesn't make you a Christian, saying it doesn't forgive you of sins, uh, saying it's not going to invoke some sort of like Jesus does to fall from the sky onto you and make you more holy, right? That, that's not what the Apostles' Creed is about. The Apostles' Creed is a declaration, It's a declaration of foundational, core, and distinctly Christian beliefs. It's a well-known summary uh, statement of what Christians believe to be true. It's a resource and tool that was crafted to sift out heresy and false teachings. And it's a a preservation of what's essentially Christian teachings and doctrine. And so the creed helps clarify what is Christian and what is not. And so for those of you who are new to the Apostles' Creed, or maybe you're a Christian but you really have never really looked at the Apostles' Creed, it's been very peripheral in your life, my hope for you today is that you come to appreciate this great historical resource of the faith. And for those of you who might be tense or twitching because the Apostles' Creed was beat into you with some, some of your background, uh, my hope is that the Lord will redeem the value of this great historical resource of the faith in your life. So today, with the goal of renewing and deepening our doctrinal depth, we're going to launch into a 12-week series using the Apostles' Creed as a map to teach the Bible and look at the doctrine that's in the creed and what the Bible has to say on those things. And what we're going to be doing is we'll be spending uh, 12 Sundays unpacking aspects of the creed and looking to the Bible for for the the source of that information and the authority of that information. We're also encouraging you to get uh, the workbook. This workbook was put together by another pastor in his church, uh, Matt Chandler at the Village Church, did a great job with this. Why recreate something when there's a great tool out there? And so uh, we encourage you to pick one of these up. Every week, there's three personal studies for yourself to just, you know, sift the information and learn. There's a family page where you can discuss questions related to the creed and that doctrine around the table or in your car. And then there's also group discussion guides for your life groups. And so we're uh, asking you in your life groups to make sure you guys are in the Apostles' Creed for the next 12 weeks. And I like what Matt Chandler, who uh, put this together, says about the creed. He says, the creed will help us Develop better symmetry as Christians, meaning give us a more robust understanding of the God of the Bible. The Creed helps us with clarity and makes it clear who God is. The Creed informs our community, who we belong to, and who we're with. And finally, the Creed informs our council both to ourselves and to others. And what I love about looking at the creed, saying the creed, reading the creed, singing the creed, is that we're really merging into over 2,000 years of Christian history. We're, we're merging into a lane of traffic where our Christian brothers and sisters for over 2,000 years have said this, wrote this, sang this. And then we, we get to interact with the, the, the uh, multi-ethnic, historical, global church because we're not alone in our Faith. So with that being said, I'd love us to read through and declare in one voice this creed, the version that we've put forth um uh, for our teaching over the next 12 weeks. So I invite you to say this with me, if you know it or whether you're not, to read it on the screen. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. Pause. Did he really? What's that mean? So we're going to unpack that, right? Is, is this like, did he really go to hell? Is this, a, is this Hades, the place of the dead? Was it the hell that he experienced on the cross? We'll unpack what that means. Game on. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and sits in the right hand of the Father Almighty, from whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit the Holy Christian Church. Pause. Some of you are going, that's not what it says supposed to be the Holy Catholic Church. You changed it. Okay, let's just unpack that for a second, okay? The word Catholic was never meant to refer to the Roman Catholic Church. The word Catholic literally means universal. Everyone say universal that's what the word Catholic means. So when you say, and what the writers wanted to say when they wrote the Holy Catholic Church was the universal church, the whole church around the world. Now, this is where you can pick your version. You can say Catholic Church. That's a trigger word for some people. Some just say Holy Church. Some say Holy Christian Church. Some say Holy Universal Church. It's just like, okay, if I say Catholic, that's got some stuff here. If you say universal, now we're universalist, you know, Holy Church. What Holy Church? There's a lot of churches out there. You passed a lot on your way here. you know, so what is it? Well, I just said, we'll say Holy Christian Church, all right? Resume uh, the communion of the saints, pause. You guys know where I'm going with this, right? Let's just make really clear. Communion means a gathering. It means a fellowship. It's not a reference to any particular wafer or juice, okay? And saints, in the biblical understanding of saints, is a group of living people who worship Jesus Christ, not dead people we pray to. Just to make sure that you understand what is being captured and declared as a uniquely Christian doctrine here. Okay, so the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. This is going to be a fun 12 weeks. And we're going to start in the beginning, which is I believe, I believe, and I just want to uh, set you up because I want to ask you what you believe. Um, I ask you to invite your, uh, invite you to get your cell phones out really fast, all right? And if you're watching online, uh, maybe you can even do this too. So we're going to take a poll in a minute to get you to be able to respond to that poll. You have to first text all capital letters CVC 0 to the number. 22333. Three, three. And once you do that, you'll get set up to activate the poll that we're going to look at here in a minute. This poll is about what we believe. Let's talk about belief, because that's also a loaded term. Belief really has two aspects. First, there's the believing in the information. This is the content of the belief, the knowledge, the intellectual awareness. You can't have faith in nothing. There has to be something, someone. So believing the right information is important. Now, you could believe that Jesus was an alien that came from another planet. That could be the content. You might hear that in your head and go, okay, I know that or I believe that. Uh, You'd be wrong, but you could believe that. Uh, We hear the information and are intellectually persuaded to believe in the content. And then comes the most important part of belief and a biblical understanding of belief. We then put our personal trust into the information. Knowing the information and trusting the information are different, but you do have to know it in order to trust it so they both come together. So this is where we go beyond our mind to our heart and our will to experience true biblical belief and faith. So when we say we believe, we are talking about more than information. It's personal trust at the deepest level of our being. Our soul and our life rest in our belief. And not only that, but uh, what's more important than just belief is the object of your belief. I believe in God is super vague. We know that a lot of people can define God different ways. And since our soul is at stake, a general belief, an unspecific or inaccurate view of God is a threat to our eternity and how we live this life. So how do we describe the God of the Bible? the one to whom we believe in. We said it here in the Creed. He is God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. This is the God that we believe in as Christians. Now, I'm going to drill down next week a little further on the Father piece. I think it was worth kind of breaking those out and drilling down on the Father piece and giving that its own emphasis. But today we're focusing on God Almighty and creator. So I think the question for our poll is this. Do you believe that there's one God who created everything in existence, one almighty God? You would text a one to say yes and a two for no. And I don't want to make the assumption or the mistake, because I know better, that everybody here and everybody watching online all believe in God or God as the Bible says describes. So let's just see what the poll might be showing us so far. So so far, if you text one or two, this will pop up in a minute, do we believe there is one true Almighty God who created everything in existence? So give a response, and while we're waiting for those to tabulate, uh, let's continue forward. As Christians, we believe in an Almighty God who created the heavens and the earth. Now, the Bible is obviously bursting with passages that speak to God as Almighty and as Creator. But I want to start our series by looking at one passage together that I think really captures both, and it's Isaiah 45. So if you can turn in your Bibles to Isaiah 45, we're going to be looking at verses 18 through 23. So Isaiah 45, fire up your Bible apps or open up your Bibles to Isaiah 45. And uh, let see, do we have those polls yet? Just curious if that has popped up yet. I know it takes a little bit sometimes. Do we have those yet? No. Nope. Okay, nobody believes in anything. That's just sad. <laughs> I don't believe in polls. No, I'm just joking. All right, Isaiah 45. Let's read that together, starting in verse 18. For thus says the Lord, who created the heavens, he is God, who formed the earth and made it, he established it. He did not create it empty, he formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord. Let's just pause here for a second. When you're reading through Isaiah, it, it's not. The correct approach to say, I'm reading about a man who's writing about God. If you understand the nature of a prophet, a prophet was activated by God to speak on his behalf, to capture what God was saying. So, really, this is God speaking through Isaiah. That's why it says, Thus says the Lord. And so, when you see something like the end of verse 18, I am the Lord, there is no other, this is God communicating to us. I did not speak in secret in a land of darkness. I did not say to the offspring of Jacob, seek me in vain. I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. Assemble yourselves and come. Draw near together, you survivors of the nations. They have no knowledge who carry about their wooden idols and keep on praying to a God that cannot save. Declare and present your case. Let them take counsel together. Who told us long ago? Who declared it of old? Was it not I, the Lord? And there is no other God besides me, a righteous God and a savior. There is none besides me. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. By myself I've sworn, for my mouth has gone out in righteousness, a word that shall not return. To me, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear allegiance. We'll unpack some of that here in a little bit. It's a great passage, and in it, we see the almighty nature of God and his declaration as creator. As Christians, um, we believe this and we declare this. All right, we'll try this poll one more time. Did that happen to tabulate this time? Hey, there it is, all right. So uh, what's come across, 88%, not a surprise here, would say, yes, there's one true almighty God who created everything. And there's about 13% going, I'm not sure about this. You know, my jury is still out. I don't know if I believe this. I'm trying to learn more. So my hope is that if you're part of that 88%, that you'll be encouraged, affirmed, and renewed in your understanding of that today. And if you're part of that 13% or 11%, 12%, okay, someone got converted. Awesome. Woo! We'll just stay on this page for a while and keep talking. Yeah. Yeah. Now they're messing with me. I don't know. Whatever percentage you belong to, if you're on the other end, um, our hope is that one, you'll just feel comfortable because we've all been there. We're all at a different place in our journey. But to really consider the claims of God, the knowledge of God, the love of God, and hopefully today will be one step in your spiritual journey. And maybe you'll meet that God face-to-face today and, and proclaim faith in him. Maybe it's just one more step in your journey. But we believe this about God, but so what? So what if we believe it? What does it do in our life? Well, because we believe in this one God who's created everything first, we know where we came from. We know where we came from. Look at verse 18 again. Thus says the Lord who created the heavens, he's God, who formed the earth, he made it, he established it, he did not create it empty, he formed it to be inhabited. This is a God who made everything, he formed it, he established it. So he he created the heavens, which means sky, universe, cosmos, The heaven, 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 the dwelling place of God, right? Also the earth, which is the land, the sea, the sky, the systems, the law, every living creature. And he didn't create so that we would be on the sphere of barrenness. He created it so that there would be life, teeming full of life, that earth would have that and that we would be part of this creation. And so we don't know all the intricacies, but we do know that God created everything, especially us. And we know that the origin of mankind and, um, is so important to us and that we were created on purpose for a purpose. We know where we came from. I like how uh, a popular pastor long, long ago said this, Rick Warren. He said, you were made by God and for God. And until you understand that, life will never make sense. And it's just so true. You have to embrace this God who made everything. Now, I want you to think about creation for a minute. I know this is a much larger topic than time allows right now. But creation physically, reasonably, logically points to the reality of a creator. Creation owes its existence to something other than itself. There is no evidence, no example in history or science where we can say, here's an example of something that created itself and sustains itself. Someone else had to influence it or design it or provoke it. Uh, For example, your cell phones that you just got out, right? If I were to honestly, genuinely trying to convince you that this sophisticated technological device actually was uh, created out of thin air, that it just made itself, that that if you just took everything that this phone is made of and just over time and over a process that's just random, okay, it actually can generate its own self and then maintain itself. And that every model that's released is just an evolutionary releasing of itself. That this model was just evolved from the last model and just, it kind of did it. If I really try to make that case, hopefully you would walk out of the church thinking I'm a madman. (laughs) Like like we know better. Someone made this and the way it works and how it operates and engineered it. Like Someone did that. Why do we get it with a phone, but then we look around the world We look around the universe, we look at microscopes, we look at telescopes, we look at order, design, structure, we look at beauty, we look at intricacy, we look at laws, we look at all that and go, yeah, but that was random. The the phone wasn't random, someone made it, but everything else in the world was randomized and just kind of came. That it's just an infinite series of cause-effect, cause-effect, cause-effect. That doesn't even make sense, just like the phone doesn't make sense. There had to be an original uncaused cause. Something outside of creation, someone that we know outside of creation that was an uncaused cause that started everything and designed it and engineered it and holds it together. This is what we believe. It just seems more logical because, again, there's not one example in all of history or existence that something can self-create and exist itself. So when we look at this creator God and we look at our origin, we know where we came from. The theological term here is the term general revelation. That God has revealed himself to mankind through creation. Every day, nature points to the existence of the one who made it. We are creatures living in the creator's universe. And we have no excuse for seeing it any other way. Psalm 19.1 says the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Have you seen a night full of stars? Have you seen a beautiful sunrise? Have you seen a beautiful sunset? That's God going, I'm real. I made this. This glorifies me and you get a kick out of it too. You know, this is God. Everything we see proclaims God it gets a little deeper, a little thicker. When we look at Romans chapter one, because in verses 19 through 20, it says, for what can be known about God is plain to them, to people, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the what? Help me out. Creation of the world. in the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. God has planted in the soul of every human being a basic awareness of his power and presence through observing creation. So man is without excuse in acknowledging that there's an almighty God who created everything that's in existence. And since we believe God is powerful enough to create and sustain creation, then he's powerful enough to create and sustain us. And because we know where we came from, It gives us more security. It gives us more meaning. It gives us more purpose in our life because we know where we came from. And not only do we know where we came from, but as we see in this passage, those who believe in Almighty God, who created the heavens and earth, also know where they're going. We know where we came from, and we know where they're going. Uh, The origin uh, is one big question of humanity. Where do we come from? It's a good question. But so is our destiny. Not just our purpose, but the future, especially the future after this world. So we're obviously aware that death is real, that life in this body will come to an end. But what about after? Where are we going? God has revealed in the Bible that those who know him and trust him and who have placed their faith in his incarnation, we see that God has revealed himself through the general revelation of creation, but also through the incarnation of his Son, That Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is God become flesh. That those who put their faith in Christ will resurrect from the dead to heaven for eternity, otherwise known as eternal life. And that those who reject him and do not believe in Christ will be resurrected to an eternity in hell apart from God, otherwise known as eternal death. Sin is at the crux of the issue. A holy and righteous God will punish sin. And we look around the world and we look at the sin that we've been hurt by, the sin we've hurt others by. We look at the sin in the headlines. It's very easy to go, I don't know. It doesn't look like sin's being punished. We just have to remember that delay doesn't mean denied. I say that often. Delay doesn't mean denied. God might be delaying the punishment of some sins, but that doesn't mean he's going to deny the punishment of those sins. And so we wait for God's plan to carry out and we just trust him in the mix. And so uh, God offers us a way out what's coming one day is that future reckoning and reconciling with mankind for our sins. And God says, if you turn to me, you can be saved from that moment. Look back at Isaiah again. Look at the end of verse 21, and we'll look at verses 22 and 23 as well. Speaking of God, says he's a righteous God and a savior. There is none besides me. Turn to me and be, what? Saved. All the ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is no other. There's no other God. There's no one else that has done what God has done. There's no one else that can do what God has done. And he invites us to turn to him and be saved. He's a saving God because he's provided a Savior in Jesus. And it's in Jesus that our salvation and the forgiveness of our sins can be found. See, we all need a Savior from our sinfulness because our sinfulness offends God and we can't work it off through good works. We can't do religious activities and efforts to make it go away. We can't work it off. We need a substitute, someone who would take the punishment on our behalf. And that's why Jesus died on the cross. He was the only one who could because of the incarnation, because Jesus was God in the flesh, and God has shown himself to humanity through that general revelation, through creation, and now through this very specific, the ultimate expression of himself to humanity, through the incarnation, that Jesus is God. John 1.14 says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, that God became flesh. In Colossians 2.19, talking about Jesus, it says, in him the whole Fullness of deity dwells bodily. Not partial deity, not some, the whole fullness of deity. Colossians 1.15 says he's the visible expression of the invisible God. And so when we come to Jesus, Jesus is the way that God saves. This is the saving God's um, uh, pathway for us to have saving from our sins. And so he provided this through Christ Well, how do you get to that point where you turn? He says, turn to me and be saved. Well, if you already have or will be studying the book this week, you're going to spend a lot of time drilling deeper on Romans chapter 10, verse 9, which says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be what? Saved. We see two very important things. It goes back to what we just said about belief. There's a confessing with your mouth. I've heard this information. I've processed it. I'm going to step out in faith and believe it. So I'm going to profess it with my mouth, but I'm going to believe, put personal trust into it that God raised him from the dead. And if I do that, then I've turned to the Lord. And this is the way God has made salvation available. And for those of you who know that, this should again point to your worth, your value, the meaning, the the purpose that is given to us through Christ. And for those of you who don't, this is available to you. You can turn to Christ even today because God said, This is the way, and there is no other way. And when God speaks, that's the way it is. Look at verse 23, Isaiah 45. He says, Myself, I have sworn, from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return, meaning it's not going to come back. He's not going to change his mind. He says, To me, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. God has spoken. The plan is in motion. He's not going back on it. And as you see here, there's going to be this final gathering. You see this multiple places in Scripture. A final gathering of all people. And in that moment, all people will submit to God. Every knee will bow. It says here, and everyone's going to declare with their tongue that he is God. It's a day of reckoning. It's a day of judgment. And for those who take up his offer for salvation through Christ, it's a day of homecoming. And it's the day of eternity becoming our home. So those who believe in God's provided Savior know where they are going. And we know our future. And we know the hope of our future. It's eternal. And it's secure. It's a place of joy and anticipation. The future has been written. And we believe. We know where we're going. So yes, there's this one God. He's almighty. He's all powerful. He's the one who's created the heavens and the earth. And because we believe in him, we know where we came from. And we know what is coming. We know where we're going. But we also know and trust who's in charge of everything in between, right? Here's where we've come from. Here's where we're going. But this is also the one who's in charge of everything in between. Because knowing where we're come from is really good. Knowing where we're really going is really, really good. But that's not a lot of times where we live. We live in the now. But who's in charge of now? Who do I turn to Now for security, for worth, for meaning, for purpose. And so God addresses that by really laying out a contrast here. Look at verse 18 again in Isaiah 45. He says, I am the Lord, there is no other. Okay, there's no other, he's all powerful. And he says, I am, which means right now. He didn't say I was, although that's true because he existed from the beginning of time. He didn't say I'm going to be, although that's true because he will always be. He says, I am, right now, right now. So we believe not just in the one who always was and always will be, but in the one who's also right now. And he's made himself known. He spoke to us. He's given us truth. This is what we would call special revelation. He's given us his word, a map, a guide for all that we need to know about him and how to live for him. And he didn't hide it. Look at verse 19, Isaiah 45. I did not speak in secret in a land of darkness. I did not say to the offspring of Jacob, seek me in vain. I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. God's work with the world did not end at creation. He didn't make everything and then go on vacation or retreat or hide away or make himself hard to find. God makes himself available. He makes himself accessible. He uses creation. He uses the incarnation. And he uses this revelation right here. That's the one who's in charge of now that we can trust in. And he speaks to us. He speaks what's truth. We need truth. Because we're not going to buy into the world's idea that, well, everyone's truth is their own truth. We don't really believe that. If someone cuts in front of you in line, you don't believe that anymore. Because if that person's truth is that it's their right to cut in front of you in line, you're like, well, your truth conflicts with my truth, and my truth wins, so get out of line, right? Like, we don't really, really believe that. It just sounds good. And so God speaks truth. It's fixed. It's what lines up with who he is and his character. It says he speaks righteousness. We can know it's pleasing to God. What's going to make us walk with God? And so because of that, we believe in him and we trust him. And there's no one else we can trust. I mean, look at 18 and verse 21. There's no other God. There's no other. So God's saying, here I am. There's no one like me. I will speak truth. I will speak in righteousness, and it's not going to change. Compared to, and then here's where the contrast is, other gods that others profess, the gods of the nations. And look what he says in verses 20 and 21 about this. Assemble yourselves and come. Draw near together, you survivors of the nations. They have no knowledge who carry about their wooden idols and keep on praying to a God that cannot save. Let's stop there. It seems silly to us that people would take a piece of wood and that they would whittle out a shape of some sort of a creature or a person or whatever, and they would put it on a mantle or something elevated, and then they would pray to this little piece of wood, asking that little piece of wood to give them health, to give them babies, to give them um, you know, provision. It seems silly. We do the same thing. It just looks different. Like, for example, some of you, you're bowing down and trusting in money. Money's paper. It's not that far off from wood, right? <laughs> okay? And so if, if I just have more money, it'll be better. No, that's that's the worship of money. If I have more authority, power, more more, um, friends in my life, more achievements, we might not carve out little pieces of wood that we trust in for the now, but we're grasping for all these other things when God's going, hello, I'm right here right now. I am. And so we got to stop bowing down and trying to trust all these other false gods when they can't really help us. And so there's one true almighty God, not a vague God, not a force, not a high power. It's a God not fashioned by our personal preferences or beliefs. It's the God that is who he says he is. It's a God with one name, and it's the name he's revealed himself in the Bible. And this is where we get confused because it's very appealing to think, well, all religions lead to the same God. They just use a different name. We just can't get sucked into that universalist thinking that all roads lead to the same God. It sounds nice but, uh, and harmonious, but all religions are not similar. They're not complementary when you actually study them. We actually get underneath them and look at what they teach. You realize quickly that they have mutually incompatible and competing truth claims and that they're very different and contradictory. But yet they're trying to all answer the same questions of life. They just answer them very, very differently. Let's just pick on a couple. Death, for example. Like I mentioned this before. Some say it's reincarnation. Reincarnation is very, very different than you cease to exist or you go to heaven or you go to hell. Or you're reincarnated, or uh, you're going to reach enlightenment and then be absorbed into the universe like Uguay from Kung Fu Panda, right? Or that you're going to uh, die and go see T'Chaka, the you know um, Black Panther's uh, ancestors on the Great Plain of the Ancestors. Like those might sound silly, but all these beliefs don't coexist. They're very, very different, and so it conveys a problem. Religions are not as similar as we would like. To think, or that someone like us to believe, there's major differences. In fact, uh, I appreciate what Steve Turner, who's a UK writer and journalist, he wrote something called Modern Thinkers' Creed, and in it, he said this about religion, kind of in a gentle, sarcastic, tongue-in-cheek way. He says, "We believe that all religions are basically the same. They only differ on matters of creation, sin, heaven, hell, God, and salvation." <laughs> and why do we laugh? Because that's exactly the case. There's one true God, and he's set himself apart. He has set himself apart through, through creation, the general revelation. He set himself apart through the incarnation, Jesus, God in flesh, where we can find salvation. And He set himself apart from revelation. All the evidence is on this God's side. You just have to open your eyes and your heart and believe. We can trust God for who he says he is. And this creed captures that really well. So because we believe in our almighty God who created everything in existence, we know where we came from, we know where we're going, and we know and trust the one who's in charge of everything in between. If I were to distill that down to a summarized idea, here's what it would be. Because we believe in an almighty God who created everything in existence, we can live with security and meaning and purpose. Could you just say that with me? Because we believe in God, creator of heaven and earth, we can live securely with meaning and purpose. Because we believe, that's what happens. Praise God for that. You know, I'm so grateful that God had Robert invite me to church as a teenager when I was a teen because I didn't have that security, I didn't have that meaning, and I didn't have that purpose, and he met me there and gave it to me maybe you're here today because of a Robert in your life. Maybe someone cares enough about you that they want you to hear more about this God who created you, made you, loves you, knows you, and has a plan for your life. They took a risk to invite you to church or to have a spiritual conversation. I encourage you to greatly consider what you've heard today. And maybe today's the day that you're ready to cross that threshold of faith and you want to do what I did Many years ago, or what everyone else in this room maybe has done, which is to take the step of faith and believing in God and how He's revealed Himself. You just have to turn to Christ. God says here, turn to me. That means you turn away from your sin, it means you turn away from trusting anything and anyone other than God and through Jesus Christ for your sin, and you turn to how He's revealed Himself. And you might be thinking, but I have a lot of questions. Oh, don't worry, we all have a lot of questions. But I like how. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr. said it best. He says, take the first step of faith. You don't have to see the whole staircase. Just take the first step. Sometimes that's exactly what you have to do. I've heard enough. I can't see everything right now. So I'm just going to take that step of faith. And if you do that today, we would love to walk alongside you and help you grow in understanding and believing and seeing everything that we're talking about. If you place your faith in Christ today, uh, I point you toward your program. In your program is a response card. And there's a part there that says, today I'm placing my faith in Jesus Christ as my Savior. And if if today you turn to the Lord just through prayer and through directing your heart and trust in Christ, mark that, turn that around in in the baskets that come by near the end of the service, and let that be like a declaration. I'm turning this in as a declaration that I believe today. And we'll get in touch with you and tell you how to grow in your faith in Christ. Some of you who know and believe in Christ just needed to have your minds and hearts refreshed today you've slipped back into control. You slip back into worry or fear. And when we start to control everything, when we start to have anxiety and worry and fear, we're not acting upon the belief that there's one God who's almighty, who's created everything. Because if he's created and sustains everything else, that means he creates and sustains you. We have to trust him and rest in who he is. And so I hope that you walk out of here today with a renewed sense of security and meaning and purpose. Also, I encourage you to remember that you are a Robert to someone else. It's so cool that that I get to experience what I experienced today because one teenage boy had the confidence to ask me to go to church. It's your turn. It's my turn to invite people into spiritual discussions, invite people to church, invite people to our life groups, invite people into relationship to find out more about this God. because, Because we believe, we will help others come to believe. Uh, Three simple applications for you today. One is this believe in Jesus if you don't know him. If you don't know Christ, just give your life to Christ today. Talk to the Lord. Tell him you believe. Turn from whatever else you're trusting in. Just come to him. Mark that on your response card. Let us know. We'll walk with you. Second, uh, before your head hits the pillow, I invite you to read all of Isaiah 45. I just plucked out some verses from Isaiah 45, but before your head hits the pillow tonight, would you just read all of Isaiah 45? Look at what God says about himself, about those who know him, those who don't, how he revealed himself uniquely through the people of Israel, you know what's in there? And then before your head hits the pillow, just craft what you see in Isaiah 45 into a prayer, a prayer of surrender, a prayer of gratitude. God, thank you for the meaning and the purpose and the security I have because this is who you are. just convert Isaiah 45 into a prayer tonight as you go to bed. And the application number three is get the book, get into the personal study. If you're not in a life group already, get into a life group so that you can have open dialogue about the doctrine that we're going to be going through. Uh, One last kind of sidebar, really in that vein of we help others believe, part of living with that purpose and that security and the meaning that we have because we believe this is helping others but also serving out of that belief. And uh, right below you right now, (laughs) downstairs, uh, we have 10 phenomenal organizations that are just trying to make a difference because they believe what we're talking about. And they need help. And so I encourage you, just just stop by. Before you leave, just stop by downstairs. Find out more about these organizations. Learn how to pray for them. Learn about the opportunities that you can serve. Um, Just encourage them before you leave because they're acting on this belief as well. Let's pray. God, you are the Lord. You are creator of everything. Every molecule has your fingerprint on it, every atom. And we're so grateful that you truly are creator of everything, all that's in existence. And God, we confess that sometimes we drift away from that realization. And Lord, we start to worry and we start to try to control and we drift away from meaning and purpose and security in you. So Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ today that, Lord, today has been a day of refreshing their understanding that they have tremendous security, tremendous meaning and purpose because of who you are and what you've done. And so, Lord, help us consider the work of your hands, the beauty of what you've made, and how if you can can, uh, create and sustain everything that's so much bigger than us, how simple it is for you to create and sustain us. So help us lean more on you. Lord, I pray for anyone here, anyone watching online that doesn't know you as Savior, that they would turn their life over to you, turn to you like you just said in Isaiah, and trust you, and trust how you've revealed yourself in forgiveness through Jesus. Help them take that step of faith today. So Lord, we love you, we praise you, we thank you for the meaning, the purpose, the security we have in you. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. We all sit together. Amen.